You are Locked On Packers, your daily Green Bay Packers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. R-E-L-A-X. Relax. We're going to be okay. It is time. It is time. I feel like we can win the table. We're going to do it. You are Locked On Packers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every single day. I am Peter Bukowski, and I cover the Green Bay Packers for SB Nation. I cover the NFL around the internet, and you can follow me on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Locked On Packers. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, on Spotify, on Google Play, wherever you find podcasts. You will find Locked on Packers, the number one Packers podcast in the state of Wisconsin, and the show for fans who know what happened. They want to know why and how. We are back. More off-season content for you, and we get to we get to dive into a little bit of controversy in these off-season shows. We get to dive into ridiculousness into esoteric discussions about things that may or may not matter. That is that has always been, in some ways, the bedrock of talk radio. Podcasts are radio on demand. So we're going to have to wade into some of those waters. And on today's show, I want to address two things that have been... the controversy, Controversial is the wrong way to say it, but they have been points of contention, not just on Packers Twitter, but in, in the NFL media landscape uh, for a while now. And one is Aaron Rodgers and his leadership. And the other is this idea of best player available. And some of the some of the points that I have laid out there about whether or not I think the Packers should be looking at certain positions early in this draft. And let's start with the discussion about Aaron Rodgers and his leadership. Because Julius Peppers, who is a Hall of Fame player, an all-time player one of the best players ever, uh, and by all accounts, a tremendous teammate, came out uh, after announcing his retirement or in the process of announcing his retirement, thanking Aaron Rodgers for being an all-time great teammate in addition to being an all-time great player. And this comes uh, immediately following, basically, an article that was written that questioned some of Rodgers, not his leadership, but his coachability. And I think coachability ultimately is a reflection of leadership. If you're not coachable, this is something my dad always preached to me growing up playing sports. Are you coachable? It's difficult to be a leader if you're not coachable because you have to, when the coach says something, if it doesn't apply to you, how can you expect it to apply to your teammates? If you will not be coached, you can't expect others to be coached alongside you. And if you are not doing that, if you are not being coachable, you're being a bad leader. Let's start with that piece, okay? Who is, who is sourced in it? Who is cited? Greg Jennings, Jermichael Finley, and Kabir Bajabiamila. Greg Jennings has gone on national TV and admitted that he is bitter about the way things ended with him in Green Bay, that he that that colors his opinion on everything that happens. And he feels a certain type of way about Aaron Rodgers. And the touchstone moment is apparently a point in a game where Rodgers told uh, a player on the other team, 
hey, why don't you guys sign Greg this offseason? Because Jennings was going to be a free agent, and the Packers ultimately didn't re-sign him, and, and Greg felt, uh, you know, he, fe- he, he took that personally. He felt like Rodgers was not defending him. And, and Rodgers has gone to the mat for other receivers of his. James Jones, he, he publicly advocated for and, and was, was delighted when he came back to the team. Jermichael Finley on Super Bowl week, this is, you can look this up. This is not a joke. He went on a radio station, or a, I don't know, I don't know. It was a, he did an interview in which he lamented the fact that Aaron Rodgers required a building of trust. And that included running the right routes and knowing the plays and practicing hard. That was the unreasonable standard Aaron Rodgers had set. And KGB had been on the team when Aaron Rodgers was a starter for a single season. I'm not saying their criticism is invalid. I, I don't even want to address that part of it. I don't, I don't know the truth. But I, I think the, the problem I have with that piece in particular is there is no one in that piece who is a recent teammate of Aaron Rodgers. James Jones is available. He's a media guy now, and he was a receiver on this team much more recently than Greg Jennings and doesn't have the same sordid past. Jermichael Finley was a player who was a, was considered a problem in the locker room, a me first guy. And so what is, what is the perspective we're getting there with those two players? What are we gaining? And then what I really have a problem with is this idea, okay, is Rodgers coachable, yes or no? Well, we know he was coached early in his career because he changed a lot. And a lot of that has been attributed to Mike McCarthy. Aaron Rodgers has attributed it to Mike McCarthy, but it's also a lot of work that Rodgers himself put in. Can The, the heart of the question in the piece was, can Matt LaFleur coach Aaron Rodgers? Will Aaron Rodgers allow Matt LaFleur to coach him? You know what's not in that story? Anyone who's ever been coached by Matt LaFleur and anyone who has played in the NFL in the last, what, five years? So this is the, this is the, this is the group of opinions that are somehow codifying this perception about what Aaron Rodgers is or isn't as a player, his attitude, whatever. This is what we're, this is the best we can come up with. And meanwhile, Julius Peppers on the all-time team list thinks Aaron Rodgers is an all-time teammate. So does Charles Woodson. So does James Jones. So does Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb and A.J. Hawk and guys who were also all-time teammates. So if you just... One person's opinion of another person, that is wholly subjective. So you you might like me and someone else might not like me And it's not that someone is right. You didn't like me or you do like me and that's your perspective and and that is what it is. Now, if you are a third person in this discussion and you are assessing whose opinion to take and you don't know me, you just know these, you know something about these other two people, whose opinion are you going to trust? Wouldn't you rather 
the person who is universally believed to be of high character or someone that you think is a good friend, let's say, you would take their opinion of me over the other person who has a, who, you know, used to date my ex-girlfriend or something like they're, they're whatever the comparable situation is. All of the negativity around Aaron Rodgers is either one media manufactured by someone, by a talking head that has no idea that, that, I mean, thinks Dwayne Haskins is more of a runner than a passer. I mean, those kinds of people, although Stephen A rides for Aaron Rodgers or they are former teammates who are, who have some sort of ax to grind or in KGB's case was only there early in Aaron Rodgers career. I'm, I'm not here to dispute whether he is or isn't coachable or is or isn't a leader. Here's what I know. All the guys who are great leaders and great teammates that have played with Aaron Rodgers in the last mm, 10 years all think he's a great guy and a great teammate. All of the young players on this team right now, Aaron Jones talked about what it meant to be mentored and have the support of Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams is someone who has said what it meant to him to have the sort of Rodgers seal of approval when, when Rodgers said, I think Devontae is going to have a big year. Those kinds of things, because Rodgers is a great player, they carry weight. And he's the kind of person that he puts in the work. And so he expects you to put in the work too. And if you don't, he is going to let you know about it. And that works for some people and it doesn't work for other people. And it doesn't work if you're someone who is a receiver, let's say, and you didn't get as many targets as you thought you should. Now, what's interesting is Devontae Adams loves Aaron Rodgers. James Jones loves Aaron Rodgers. Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, guys who have played with him recently why do they have such wildly different visions? I mean, Aaron Rodgers was just in Randall Cobb's wedding. Why do they have such wildly different perceptions of what Aaron Rodgers is like as a leader and a teammate than these other people? And yet, over and over again, these are the voices we're turning to to offer what becomes gospel doctrine on who Aaron Rodgers is as a person. And yet these other, these other moments from these, these teammates who as players should have the gravitas and the bona fides to say that person is someone whose opinion is worth listening to. They don't get amplified because they don't say the hot take thing. That is a problem with our media landscape. It's a problem with Twitter it is a problem with fandom, and it is a problem because confirmation bias is a thing that exists. So a narrative starts, and we see a thing that, that conforms to that narrative, and we remember it. The things that counter that narrative, we tend to forget. And that builds on your own confirmation bias. And every little thing that we see, the body language, whatever, it becomes part of confirmation bias. Aaron Rodgers says some banal thing in training camp about the receivers not understanding yet what it means to, to practice professionally and be precise. And suddenly it's taken like he is saying these guys are terrible and he's, he's trashing them in the media. No, he's, he said they need to learn how to be pros when you are a professional, when you walk the walk, you are allowed to talk the talk. 
This is not LeBron James saying fit in or fit out or undermining his teammates and undermining his... This is not what's happening. So this discussion that's constantly being amplified by a small number of people whose opinions are compromised on some level or another or are are potentially unreliable. And look, I've had Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley on this show. I don't, I don't think that you shouldn't listen to anything they say. I don't think they're bad guys. But, I mean, J- Greg Jennings literally admitted to having a bias in this case because of his experience uh, and an anti Packers and somewhat of an anti Rogers bias because of how things played out with his departure. And you are, are smart enough to remember what happened in those early 2010s when Jermichael Finley was on the team. You remember who he was and what he did and what his reputation was. I trust you to take that information and use it. That is news you can use. So let's not amplify these voices. And, and if you're going to quote them, let's take a more holistic approach and actually think if what they're saying precludes Matt LaFleur from getting through to Rodgers given his coaching style. How do you... I, 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 I don't like to criticize other journalists for doing their jobs. I don't, I don't like to do it. Because it's... I mean, I do it. It's hard. There are plenty of times when I would like to include things that I don't have time to include or I can't include for whatever reason, and a piece is not what I want it to be. How do you have a story that is these three players that have not played with Aaron Rodgers in years, wondering about the coachability of a player with a coach and offer no perspective on how that coach is likely to handle his quarterback? What are we doing here? I don't understand it. I just, I just like, I, as someone who is a writer and has been an editor, I just don't understand how that is a thing that happens. But if you write a piece that has negative things to say about Rogers, they're, they're going to get picked up. It's going to go on first take. It's going to go on Colin Cowherd's show and the media economy gets to push forward. That is the take that creates the headlines. This Julius Peppers quote, Skip Bayless is not going to talk about that today. Colin Cowherd's not going to bring that up on his show today or tomorrow or the next day. He's not because it doesn't fit the narrative they've built. The criticism cycle in sports media is always more potent and has longer legs than anything else. And so that's why you read so many stories about it. And now that this narrative has taken hold because of quotes from a, a very small group of players, it has become a nationalized narrative. And, and then it feeds itself. You go to these same people every time there is something that happens and you get their info and their feedback again. It is, it is silly. And, and I'm not even saying what they're saying is not true. But I'm saying if you're going to involve them and get their feedback and wonder aloud if Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur is going to be a good partnership, then maybe talk to someone who has been coached by Matt LaFleur or has like 
said hello to him, had a conversation with him for a minute. Let's just start there. That should be the baseline. But that's not what happened here. It's not dissimilar from a piece that was written a couple years ago about Aaron Rodgers' leadership that contained a tweet from a player's sibling and a quote from Shannon Sharp on a pregame show or, a, or a, some sort of talking head show. And, and this was the evidence and an old Jermichael Finley quote. Again, we're, we're still in the Jermichael Finley criticism of Rodgers' economy. And that was passed off as evidence that Rodgers was not a good leader because Shannon Sharp said he had heard a thing and Greg Jennings' sister tweeted something. And I mean, this is, we're talking about five years ago. And oh, by the way, it's the same person writing both of these pieces. I'm not, I'm not on this show calling anybody out. I'm not naming names. I'm not here trying to blow up anyone's spot or dunk on anybody. I'm just saying when, when you read something, it's important to have perspective to know who is speaking and what their track record is. And I trust you, my listeners, to be smart enough to take all of the information at your disposal and apply it and come to the correct conclusion. Ooh, that was an A block, huh? <laughs> that was, uh, that was not, not, not where I wanted to, to spend the first 17 minutes of the show, but that's, that's the discussion and we have to talk about it. Now, I want to I wanna have Zach Cruz actually on the show later in the week. We're In our next report card series, we're going to do tight ends. And I think a lot of fans are, are really interested in adding one. And Zach is of the mind that, that TJ Hawkinson at 12 is fine. If the pass rushers are gone, just take Hawk. And, and I've made my case on the show why I think that's the wrong choice. And I think there are myriad reasons and factors for that. And we're going to have Zach on to talk about Hawk in particular, TJ Hawkinson from Iowa, and some of the other tight ends, just so, because I think it's important to have some of these other perspectives that may not agree with me uh, on the show. So we're, we're going to do that later in the week. But I got some pushback from Zach and from other people on, on Twitter. And, and I totally understand this idea because I basically said, I don't think it makes sense to go tight end at 12. And I don't think it makes sense to go linebacker early. And I basically said, look, they have Blake Martinez. They have Oren Burks who they traded up to get in the third round. It's just unlikely they would do this and they shouldn't. I wrote the piece last week. They, they will not take a tight end at 12 and they shouldn't. I wrote that for Acme Packing Company. Go read it. And I made a joke. Oh, do I have to do the same thing with linebacker in the top 50? I don't think the Packers should take a linebacker in the top 50. That is not the same as saying, I think they should pass on a good player. So I got a lot of pushback. If if he's the best guy, you take him. And, and you point out, oh, Darius Leonard is awesome last year. Leighton Vander Esch is awesome last year. Look, linebackers can change your team. I agree. The problem with that thought process is you're assuming perfect information. If you knew before the draft Darius Leonard was going to be an all-pro, he goes top 10. He goes at least top 15. But you don't know that. You go into the draft with imperfect information about what a prospect is. Look at someone like Le'Veon Bell, who totally changed 
his body and really grew as a player in the NFL from what he was in college. We had no idea he was going to do that. So the teams that passed on him couldn't have known that they were passing on the player that he ultimately became. They also likely could not have known that he would eventually get embroiled in uh, a historic contract negotiation and uh, try to force his way out of Pittsburgh. Those are things you don't know when you go into a draft. And so the idea of best player available, and this is something we've talked about a ton. We talked about it with the tight ends last week. You take the player that makes you the most better, that maximally improves your team, and you have to take the guy that you think is that player. You can't do that irrespective of position. That calculation takes into account who's already on your team. And and Zach made a good point when he said, well, the the best player is the most impactful player. Okay, maybe, maybe. Let's, Let's assume perfect information. And let's assume we know at any given moment who the good players and who the bad players are gonna be. So you're a team and you have an off-ball linebacker at 12, and you have a pass rusher at 12, and you like them both, but you think the linebacker is a little bit better. Someone saying they should take the best player for Green Bay is saying they should take the off-ball linebacker. My point is to say they have Blake Martinez, they invested in Norm Burks, and they consistently only play one linebacker anyway because Mike Patton likes to play a three-safety nickel look, and he likes to play a dime look with a safety playing linebacker and then and then the extra corner. Why is the linebacker more impactful? He's not. The pass rusher would be more impactful. Even if the linebacker in a vacuum is a better player. Now, this gets complicated because you say, "Oh, well, the Packers, you know, they didn't take Leighton Van Der Esch and now they have this hole at linebacker." Okay, but if Jair Alexander is as good at corner as Leighton Van Der Esch is at linebacker, and you assume when they picked Jair, it was because he was the guy that they felt was the most impactful player or the best player, whichever one, doesn't matter. You assume they, they picked Jair Alexander because the Packers don't really reach for need, generally speaking. If you have equal players, Jair, let's, let's call Jair an 87 at corner. Let's just say. And Leighton Van Der Esch is an 88 or an 89 at linebacker. You'd rather have the corner. You would. You just would. I'm not saying reach. I'm not saying don't take the good player. If you knew Leighton Van Der Esch was so good, let's say Jair Alexander is bad. We don't know that. But if Jair Alexander is bad, then you can say Green Bay should have taken Leighton Van Der Esch. They wanted, by the way, to take Leighton Van Der Esch. They liked Leighton Van Der Esch. They would have played him uh, at edge. They would have played him rushing the passer. You can't look at the draft and say, oh, look at those good players and look at how they changed their teams and say that the same thing is going to happen next time or that the process that ultimately led to those selections was bad because you have to do the best with the information you have. So the, the Colts take Quentin Nelson, he changes their offense because of what he's able to bring as a guard. It was uh, a strange choice. Generally speaking, I am not into taking guards that high, but there were a lot of people that thought Quentin Nelson was the best 
football player in this draft. I mean, wouldn't, let's say Josh Rosen is really good, or let's say the Browns with the first pick, they take Quentin Nelson, and the Giants are sitting there, and they can either take Saquon Barkley or Baker Mayfield. Saquon Barkley is a really flipping good football player. Baker Mayfield would have impacted the Giants in a bigger way. And oh, by the way, you can get a running back in the second round or the third round or the fourth round because the Browns did. Running backs grow on trees. This is, my, this is part of my case with tight ends. You can find a tight end. You can find an off-ball linebacker. If you want a good pass rusher, you better take him in the first round because they're not going to come in the second through seven rounds. They're just not. I would never advocate not taking good players. Always take good players. And if they sit there at 12 and they don't like any of the pass rushers, or they don't like any of the offensive linemen, or they don't like whatever, if they think the guy that is going to come in and be the most impactful player for their team is an off-ball linebacker because they think that Devin White is the second coming of Ray Lewis, draft that guy. If they think TJ Hawkinson is the second coming of Rob Gronkowski, draft that guy. But if you think that guy is a solid player and you have other guys that you think are also really solid players and they play a premier position and they play a premier position that happens to be one where you could use an upgrade, those players make more sense. It is all of these factors saying you should only take the best player or you should reach for need are the same to me. They're the same because they're, they're opinions based wholly in a vacuum where context is everything. Context is everything in a draft. These, these are not players who exist without context. It's, I'm not just saying don't take a tight end at 12. I'm saying don't take any of these tight ends at 12. And I'm not just saying don't take a linebacker at 12. I'm saying don't take any of these linebackers at 12. And I'm saying at 30, there are other guys who I think are likely to impact this team more. And that's in part because I don't love Devin White. I like Devin Bush, but I don't know if he's any better than Oren Burks. And they've invested there. You don't know before the draft who's going to be good and who's not. So you have to take into account. You use your scouting. And then you have to take into account who's already on your team, what your team is likely to look like a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. All of those things have to matter. Otherwise, what are we doing? What are we doing? You're not building a team. You're just, you're picking a Madden team. It has to matter. Everything else has to matter. Positions has to matter. Contracts have to matter. Your team have to matter. The grades have to matter. They all matter. Doesn't mean they matter the same but they all have to matter or you are taking a myopic view of team building. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. And as I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get Zach for the tight end show. We'll do, we'll do questions on Wednesday. We'll get to the off-season report card on Thursday. And then maybe, maybe we'll get a guest tomorrow. I'm working on it. We'll see what we can do. Uh, but otherwise, Combine's coming fast free agency is going to be here before you know it we're less than a month out on that combine starts february 26th so we're you know two weeks from that uh free agency officially starts march 13th so you know a month out basically from free agency so a lot of a lot of draft discussions to get done between now and march and then free agency will be doing emergency podcasts 
if and when the Packers make signings. We did a lot of those last year. They were really fun. You guys loved them. So we will keep those together. Uh, a lot more interviews as we go through the offseason. Uh, keep sending me your ideas, people you want to hear from, whether it's media people, players, former players, whatever it is. Let me know. Hit me up on the Lockdown Packers fan hotline. Uh, hit me up on Twitter at Peter underscore Bukowski, the podcast Twitter at Lockdown Packers on Facebook. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes. Leave it in your review. But leave us a review. A five-star rating would be nice. And uh, send me a text. Call me on the Lockdown Packers fan hotline, 920-341-3775. Just because it's the offseason doesn't mean you can stop staying Locked on Packers. <laughs>